Welcome to the Restored View of the Old Testament by Book of Mormon Central with Lynn Wilson and John Cho. Hello. Hi. Of course, our key questions here uh, before we get started is how does this bring me closer to Christ? Uh, how does the Book of Mormon help me understand the Old Testament? And how does this help me live a more Christ-like life? Fabulous. And it's so easy to find an answer to all of those in the story of Abraham. We're now looking at Genesis. Actually, Abraham's introduced in Genesis 11 at the very bottom, and it goes clear through like Genesis 23, 24, uh, as he marries Keturah after Sarai's death. So it's, uh, it's, we finally have a whole character developed, and then we're so blessed to also have the book of Abraham that tells wonderful stories about him that are not in the Bible. But we do find similarities in some of the apocryphal work. You know, again, Joseph Smith's inspiration is so clear for those of us historians who study ancient um, texts to see the things that are added in the Joseph Smith translations of the scrolls are right here in the story, um, just not in the Genesis account. I found a rabbi who summarized all the trials that Abraham went through. And he his, his whole theme, this rabbi's theme was saying, um, you know, Abraham had to sacrifice his whole life long. And I just want to go through some of the things that he says, quote, there was a series of supremely difficult tests, unquote. And they're all sort of leading up to the great and last sacrifice. And I've added, so I had the rabbi's list, and then I added them from the book of Abraham as well. I mean, he starts out um, in the land of Ur of Chaldees, and biblically, there's always a question, where was that? Is this really where we think it is? But luckily, the book of Abraham gives us a second witness of it. But in the book of Abraham, we also know that Abraham was actually offered as a human sacrifice, you know, that he was taken without his will and placed on an altar to be killed and bound. Um, there's already a pretty supreme test. And then, of course, the apostasy of his father and f family and community and all during this time. Um, I think sometimes spiritual tests are even harder than physical tests, and that would have been really hard he leaves, um, told by the Lord to pack up and go to a foreign country, a foreign land, and um, he's bringing his righteous little nephew with him. But unfortunately, um, his dad comes along as well. But his dad, it says his dad repents, you know, but there's another trial right there. And in Genesis, it says it was his dad's idea. It's not until we get to the book of Abraham that it says, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is the Lord's idea telling Abraham, let's move. And we see this in Abraham's life over and over. All of these things, this series of supremely difficult tests are the Lord's ideas. Let's move. And in my life, haven't you seen in your life to where the Lord takes you to different places, whether it's a job or a person. He puts people in your life and opportunities in your life because he wants you to move ahead. I see him just like we talked about last week as periods of probation, periods of, of study. So then he's got to leave Haran after 10 years there and go down to Canaan. But there's a famine going on, another test. So they go into Egypt, another test with his wife. Poor um, Sarai is taken by the Pharaoh. Now the Lord tells him to do it. But I'm sure that was emotionally extremely difficult for both of them, for her to be in the Pharaoh's harem for a period of time. And then they come out with extra people. We're told that they received not only animals and riches, but also um, maidservants, so servants that came with them, and one of those becomes a plural wife, Hagar. I, I don't even want to suggest that that was not a sacrifice. Now, Genesis says it's just, it was Sarah's or Sarai's idea to do it, but when we get the Doctrine and Covenants in section 132, 
The Lord says, no way. It was my idea. And I thought that is probably why it was a little bit more difficult for Soraya to accept and why there was some trials there. But we don't have the whole story. I'm not going to throw any stones at either of those women. We do not have that story. Um, anyway, the strife amongst the herdsmen when Lot's herdsmen want the water. And, you know, we've got these two very successful um, farmers and there's they're fighting over water rights. And then they have to move again and he gives Lot the good land. And then Lot gets taken and then he has to Abraham has to go fight a battle to redeem his little nephew. You know, he's got to get him back. And um, I just, it's just trial after trial. And then Ishmael starts teasing Isaac and the sibling relationship is hard. And then he's, I, I forgot he has major surgery at 99. I forgot talking about that one, you know, <laughs> for one who's had too many surgeries in my life. I appreciate that one. The trial with Abimelech. And then, of course, they all lead up to um, the trial of, of his taking his only son's life on the same. It's just so ironic that it's the same way that his own life was taken. So I'm grateful that we have... Um, the plan of salvation to say, no, it's all about looking for Christ. And it's all about trials are all about becoming more Christ-like. And every time Abraham is good, you know, he bows to the Lord. He covenants with him over and over again. And it's really beautiful to see that the Lord promises him the covenant over and over again. But anyway, that was just a little overview by a rabbi of his life of, uh, that I filled in with a few of our restored scripture details. But it's it's really good to take a bird's eye view and say, it's not all going to be easy for the righteous. You know, this is just, but it, it he became a better person with each step. I think so. That That is such a big theme. And we'll revisit that more when we get into, you know, the Abraham's sacrifice in the second half here. Is there any part of Abraham's life you want to talk about? I do, specifically Lot, because, I mean, the, <laughs> the well, the covenant and the sacrifice are two big parts, so we won't spend most of our time there. But but the interaction with Lot, there's this little gem that um, when the Lord is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and he, he tells Abraham about it, yeah. right? Yeah. And there's a pleading that happens, right, a bargaining. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so I've always been curious, like, is it okay to bargain with the Lord? I've got this commandment, you know? And it's like, you know, you know, in some, some of my mind, it's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm just doing this Nephi thing. Like I'm just going to go and do right. Yeah. And this sort of like, well, is there's this room to bargain? And in, a, in the future, we talk about, you know, Jacob and his wrestle with the Lord. So there's, there's this time there. So, cause I get, this is human it's nature, but question. I yeah. get these. Yeah. Cause we don't want to do it selfishly. I think yeah. the key for me is, is my heart in my prayer? Am I trying to understand the will of the father or am I trying to get God to understand me? Yeah. Because if which is silly, I know but. <laughs> I love the Bible dictionary definition of prayer when it the line that says, um, "Prayer is for the child to understand the will of the Father." And so, in this bargaining process, I see Abraham as humbly saying, "Oh, I want to protect. I want to protect the this place." You know, it's interesting in the scriptures, it says Lot built his tent or directed his tent facing Sodom and Gomorrah. And I have to think of um, the children of Israel's tents face the tabernacle. 
Right. You know, King Benjamin, right? And King Benjamin, they're facing um, the temple. You know, I I just love that that little different. But Lot is not. But he's still a good man. You know, he's got the visitors that come down. That story's a little strange in Genesis about the strangers who come down and there's so much wickedness, sexual immorality that they want to... it's it, it's strange. We don't understand the whole story. I'm I'm not going to go into that one because I really don't feel we have the full text there. I'm just waiting for more light and truth on that one. <laughs> it's too strange to think about. But I think it's okay to bargain in that if your heart is right. Is it okay to ask the Lord questions? Yes, if you're humble and meek, waiting for the answer. But is it okay to bargain? I I think of myself sometimes asking the Lord questions, and I've said, "Can I do this?" Well, yes. Well, is it the best thing for me to do? No. Well, what's better? You come up with the ideas. Okay, may I do this? Yes, you may. Well, can I, can I actually, actually, I came up with a better one. Can I try this? There, you've got it. You know, I just see that the Lord, I look at the conversation between Christ and the woman at Samaria at the well. He, he leads her along. He's always making her stretch in her answers until she comes to the realization that he is the Messiah. And I, I see that in our prayers, isn't it? That we have to be able to come to the point where we are trusting that he is the Messiah. And isn't that what Christ and Abraham are doing here in this prayer or God, whoever it is that he's having this conversation with? Um, he's saying, yes, I love and I will protect these people. I do love them. And because I love them, I'm going to be do tough love and I'm going to take them away because I don't want any more children born in such wickedness. And they're going to have a chance to repent in a world without a Satan, in a place without a Satan. I, you know, we, we talked about Noah last week and I'm yeah. just thinking, I was like, did, did Noah have that conversation too? Like, you know, with the flood? I don't know. We, we don't know. It's pure speculation. Yeah, but it's but, interesting you know, to think about. It's interesting to think about yeah. that, you know, and so on. And I think about this is such an important, for me personally, it was just an important, um, uh, I guess, story, experience, what do you want to say? But you balance this out with, you know, early Doctrine and Covenants, you know, especially the experiences with a lot of Recaldry, right? Yeah. And and those, and those, and then... Section 6, Section right, exactly. 8, Section and, 9, yeah. And just, I think one of the most valuable things that the Restoration has given me that is so unique um, is this really detailed instructions of... How to pray. How to pray. How to right? seek the And spirit. bargaining is absolutely part of that. And I love what you started with. It's like, it depends where your heart is. And, and personally, what I found is like, okay, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. And, yeah, and, I, and yeah. I know in myself that like, yes, I mean it. Like, and I'm going to bite my lip and just, I'm going to do it. It's not going to be great. I'm sure Abraham felt you that know, way sometimes. Yeah, it's like, you know? I'm, I'm going to do it. It's okay. I'm sure Noah felt that way about the some of the animals he had to take along, <laughs> right. even if they were babies. That's right. But <laughs> if I commit myself to that first, like that's that's first. Like, okay, I know I'll do it. And I know myself well enough. If, if I'm in that mode, I'm like, okay, I don't want to do this, but I feel the prompting. I'm going to do it. And then if I bargain from that position, having established that first. I will obey. I will obey. Can not conditionally. Me? Not conditionally. I will obey. But. I want to understand. Do better. I have some range? That's <laughs> you know? beautiful. Yeah. And I think that. And I think I have to think that Abraham was thinking about Lot. Yeah. Through this, right? I guess part of the problem is bargaining is the wrong word. Seeking more light and truth is what I feel better about. Because it. The story in Genesis sounds like they're bargaining. You know, that's exactly what it sounds like. But I do think Abraham is has his heart in the right place, and they're just seeking more light. 
He's trying to make sure he understands God. And we can understand God better through that story. We see such a merciful God. You know, the God of the Old Testament is filled with mercy. I just love that story. And I'm glad you mentioned Lot because it's after he retrieves Lot, after he captures the the, the battle of the kings. You know, he has to head north because Lot's all the way down at the Dead Sea. And he goes all the way up. Um north to capture these 10 kings in the battle of the kings and um he then takes the booty and pays that it is tithing to melchizedek melchizedek we're told in the joseph smith translation in fact we get a whole page on melchizedek um from genesis 9 and 14 and um in the joseph smith translation that's in our appendix on this fabulous great man who raises up a city of righteous people. Again, um, his name, Melech Zadok, king of righteousness. Melech, king, Zadok, righteousness. Whether it's a title or a name, I don't know. But um, he raises up this great city of peace, and it's called um, the city of peace, you know, Salem, Shalom, Salem, peace, the city of peace. And they then are translated to join the city of Enoch. So in the book of Abraham, at the very beginning when it says, I sought the blessings of the fathers, you know, he was a good man. He's seeking God as in his youth. It's not his dad. He's talking about Melchizedek. He's talking about the fathers from Abraham down who continued to be translated up the city. And by having that understanding, when he meets Melchizedek, we're told in the Doctrine and Covenants that Melchizedek ordains him to become a high priest. Um. So I just feel like we're really blessed to have a lot of information on Melchizedek, not only about his city that's translated, but um, the Joseph Smith translation adds the beautiful details about Abraham as well in that relationship and how they are able to, uh, the priesthood is able to be restored and ordinances are able to be passed along. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit about his surgery, but they call the circumcision a sign or a token of the covenant. And um, I'm really grateful that we have the chance to see that token being likened unto, in the, in the Joseph Smith translation, that token is likened unto the eighth day when it's given after birth is likened unto the eighth year that the blood of the lamb will cover the sins of those who are younger than eight years. And so the token has this message of the atonement will cover those who are too little to make decisions on their own. You know, the theme that we see over and over again, and, and we've covered some of this during, um, during his overview, but, you know, the, the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. So, so what, are the, what are the circumstances of the Abrahamic covenant? We, we call it the Abrahamic covenant. Obviously, you know, this it's covenant. It's all over co- scripture, yeah, isn't it? The yeah. covenant comes yeah. all the way down from, from yeah. Adam on down. You know, it's passed through. You just mentioned Melchizedek. You know, and, well, as and we that, look so. at the um, text, starting in Genesis 12, he's promised to have a home, and then he's promised to have children and grandchildren, as numerous as the sands of the sea, and that promise is repeated and repeated and repeated. Uh, so this, he's also promised posterity, I mean, prosperity, um, respect and honor also comes out of Genesis 2, I guess. Um, just flipping the pages here, he's promised strength 
um, guidance from God. So the Abrahamic covenant, I feel, includes all these blessings, the shield from God. But I see them all under the umbrella of the power of God, uh, under this priesthood umbrella. And I'm using the priesthood under this general term that's for everyone who seeks Christ, that receives the power of God in their life. And that's what he's getting. But it's never um, really for himself met out in that life, is it? I mean, his children are very few in the earth life compared to the sands of the sea. It's really, I bless you to be a blessing for someone else. And that's exactly what the priesthood is. It's to bless others. And whether I'm holding, um, I'm practicing it as a female temple worker, I am to bless others in that role. And if um, I even look at the gifts of the spirit, they are to bless others according to section 46. Um can you think of anything, any other covenants? I just thumb through my scriptures to see that God's going to lead these children. God, the covenant is that he's going to be with them. He's at his right hand, all the blessings that they're seeking. But it's not necessarily for this life. Well, I mean, there's lots of covenants. I, I It's kind of odd because all the law hangs on these two commandments, right? You know, and so in one way, it's extremely simple. Um, I think of the baptismal covenant, of course, and it... Um, suppose it ends with, at least from an ordinance point of view, ends with, with marriage, right? And so all of these are links um, and Abraham has, gets all of these. And for the rest of scripture, you know, here we are in early Genesis, right? And for all of scripture, we see either fulfillment of, or a, um, a repeat of, you know, these, these covenants. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought in Christ's statement there about all these hang on, on everything else is bounced on whether or not you love God and whether you're going to take care of your fellow man, because that's actually the center point of the Mosaic law. Yeah. And so when Christ says the greatest of the law, he's referring back to the Mosaic law. But when you said that it dawned on me ever since the time of Adam, we've had baptism, we've had the call to please obey God and his follow his commandments and enter into his covenants so that you can receive the power from um, those ordinances that testify of Christ and return to him. You know, God's purpose is to take us back to heaven. And um, that I hadn't thought of it that way. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I used to think of these covenants as sort of, because there's several parts of this Abrahamic covenant, you know, um, and, and when I say for that, I'm referring to the spiritual side that we've inherited in a restoration, yes. not just the temporal stuff that he gets, which, you know, is, is not trivial. But um, I, I think of the, I used to think of it as sort of this, this graduation and, and sort of an additional layer of complexity. And as I've sort of had more time to live it. That's not, that's, that's been less. It's not uh, an issue. thing it's, to check it's, off a box. It's not. It's, it's, it's becoming uh, more. It's becoming more. It's like it's, Christ. These extra covenants help me live. Like, you know, my, my temple covenant helps me live my baptismal covenant. Yes. Right. You know, it's, and as I've as grown in. sacramental That's covenants. right. Right. And so, um, you know, these early covenants that, that of course the Lord made with, with Adam that have been, the Lord has gone through great trouble to preserve. And we see these. Mm-hmm cataclysmic events like we talked about last week with the flood and the thing that holds it on is is that covenant he's made right and the um, covenant is i will protect you i will be here for you yeah if and, you'll just hang in there it's going to all be all right and what's magical about abraham more than any other prophet in the scriptures i think is how all of this happens to him right i mean we see it sort of line by line all of these little parts of you know from family to posterity 
and he had to wait so long. And like you said, he, he didn't get to see this, but we see a, a type of that in Abinadi. I mean, everything that came from it, if you really look at the incredible blessings that came from Abinadi, he saw none of it. Yeah, he saw right? none of it. So much of our sacrifices. It's interesting, this theme of obedience and sacrifice will bring forth the blessings um, but it's rarely that you see all of them here and now. That's why I really go back to that phrase of the plan of salvation. Let's emphasize on this life that we need to be saved, and the happiness often comes in the <laughs> next life. And I and I don't mean I don't mean to be discouraging on that, but the covenant, trusting God, knowing that He's there for us, knowing that He will answer our prayers, that He will cleanse us through His Spirit, that He will offer the atoning sacrifice to, in our behalf if we will but repent, um, is not just a trivial promise. You know, thousands of years, the entire history of the world, every human being that's ever been born can have this Abrahamic covenant if they will live worthy of it. Do you remember when Christ is in the New Testament? And by that time, they've got it so messed up that they think anybody who's physically born of the seed of Abraham is blue blood. You know, they got it totally wrong. It's an entitlement. And, and it's an entitlement. Yes, exactly. And, and that's when the Savior gets so mad and says, out of these rocks, I can raise up children <laughs> to Abraham. And I'm not, I, you know, you've got to live like Abraham. And as I look at his life, um, I am sure the Spirit blessed him to endure doing all these things. But the covenant, I think, is what, what propelled him to know. You know, the, just, just the covenant that you're going to have a son. That is promised for decades without seeing a fulfillment. And it's repeated. And sometimes in our lives, it's not repeated. We have to just, as the Lord told Oliver Cowdery, look back and remember. Right. His life is so fascinating to me because obviously when we, we, we read his list of trials, but it's just who he was during these things, which was a transformational figure. We have the benefit of hindsight. You know, Abraham is somebody that that uh, is not just in the religious record, but also in the historical record, right? We talked about last week about the Tower of Babel, and there's some dispute there. It's going to take some time to find the evidence and so on. But with Abraham, there's there's not a whole lot of debate that he was a you know a very real figure, and we see the spiritual legacy that he has in a very real way. Billions and billions of people trace his trace their you know heritage. He is the father of the righteous as well. So even if you're not tracing your heritage through him, he's our adopted father. You know, And you mentioned that he's this transitional figure. I want to point out the way he treated his wife. Um, I'm just fascinated how much, you know, in the ancient world, sometimes we don't see a lot of women's rights. And yet Abraham is phenomenal. Um, when his wife comes and says, rah, 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 he says, you take care of it. I'll allow you to have complete autonomy on this and I will follow your lead. And um, even though it goes back on what you told me, you know, you said I could have her as a wife, you know, now that she's got my son, I will trust your judgment. I will allow you to make your own decisions and I will live with the consequences. And we're told it breaks his heart to lose his son. And yet he honors his wife enough to allow her to make decisions that will change the family. And um, of course, it's helpful to know that in the book of Abraham, that God is also the one giving these commandments and Sarah's helping out with it. But I really feel like he's a transitional figure in obeying God, 
during trials. He's a transitional figure in being a missionary, and he's got this huge group of people. That was one of the footnotes. I don't know if you saw that one. Um, But in Genesis, it talks about the people that he got in Haran. And then the footnote <laughs> explains, okay, this, this word actually could be translated converts as well. You know, so he's, he's, he's building a Zion society. He's building those uh, believers who are going to follow the Savior. And um, he carries that covenant far beyond his own tiny little family circle. I also wanted to mention another thing that I think is part of the Abrahamic covenant is um, the this this family relationships go beyond just the bloodlines. One time he says, right. he says, no, I've got this servant here. Is he the one that is going to receive all these promises? Um, this is well before Ishmael and Isaac are born. Um, you know, he, he wants everyone to be able to receive these blessings, not just his bloodlines. He's really a very generous prophet. You know, you mentioned the Book of Mormon earlier too. Um, I decided just for fun to go look to see how many times he's mentioned there and not verses and not he and not about him, but the word Abraham 92 times in restored scripture. Yeah, it's all it's all over the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants and obviously the Great Price, but it's all over. He, he, he is such a well known figure that the Lord, I think, wants us to look at him as an example, not only as a covenant maker but also in how he overcame and how he drew closer to the Savior during his sacrifices. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about the benefits of, of his covenant we, we and the costs we'll, we'll spend more time on with his sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And, and as we mentioned kind of right at the very beginning, it's really, it's, a, it's an accumulation. You can argue that it's a series of sacrifices. That... Yeah, he is really becoming a man of God. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, coming back to the Book of Mormon here, you know, if I take sort of a bird's eye view of the Book of Mormon, it really is this manifestation and fulfillment of of God's promises to Abraham, right? You know, we talk about the scattering, the gathering. Um, and, you, you know, know Abraham and, kept being moved from one place to the next, to the next, to the next. That's just what happens to Lehi. Right. You know, waters of Mormon, or not waters of Mormon, excuse me, uh, Laman, the Valley of Laman and whatever, Valley of Lemuel. And then they have to move to Bountiful. And then they move right. to the first inheritance, then the land of Nephi, then the land of, you know, yeah. We don't, we do, yeah, we don't get a lot of insight into the, uh, you know, what what really is the covenant of baptism, right? And then when you're at the waters of Mormon, Right, you know. After oh, you mean the, in the Book of Mormon? In the Book of Mormon, yeah, yes. yeah. Okay. Well, it, you know, okay. so so we get the insight, you know, of of what the of what the uh, you know promises that are being made at the waters of Mormon with Alma, yeah, right? And um, you know his renewal, and you know that structure is is you know he was an apostate priest, right? There's an apostasy that happened there, mm-hmm. and so this renewal of the priesthood, this renewal of the covenant. Um, you know, to to look after one, to bear one of those burdens, right? To mourn with those that mourn, yeah. and to have those details. And it is a restoration because it is. we we went through this earlier. It's the baptism of Adam and what it all entailed is back in the Book of Moses, right? And so, even just all of these things about the restoration is the and you know, of course, the the Book of Jacob and, and the wonderful parable there is all traces back to the Lord fulfilling as His promises. To Abraham. We can always trust God. No matter how bad life gets, the covenant is intact. In fact, I'm glad you mentioned the Book of Mormon because on the title page of the Book of Mormon 
one of the purposes of the Book of Mormon is to show that, let me just open that up for a minute. Um, it's to show that the the gathering of Israel is going to actually happen. It's going to, this is one of the signs. The Book of Mormon is one of the signs. Here it is um, in the, on the title page. It is to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers, and that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever. And also, and then it goes on to another one. So the very the, Book of Mormon is the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. To Abraham. Yeah. And the children of Israel, entire all of us, all of us who come unto God. Yeah. Remember, his name is changed. And Abraham means instead, Abram was just uh, um, honored father, exalted father, whatever. And then Abraham is um, the beautiful name that's used for father of many nations or father of many or whatever. And Sariah's name, interestingly, S-A-R in Hebrew was, um, or in many of the Semitic ancient languages, it's in Arabic as well. Um, but S-A-R is the idea of a chieftain or a leader or a prince. And then the A-I is my, so my little princess or something like that. But when the Lord takes off that A-I and puts on the A-H on her name, A-H is often added as a suffix for God or from God. Or it can be just a female. Uh, so it can either just be princess or it can be um, my, the female from God or the, the leader, the ruler from God, a female ruler from God. Anyway, it's the idea that um, Sarah is also functioning in her role as a priestess and a queen unto the Lord and working for him in his cause. It's just a beautiful thing to see new names given to prophets and priests and priestesses and prophetesses. I want to get, I want to spend more time. Uh, I want to leave enough time for his sacrifice because that's such an important yeah. part of the type of Christ, yes. right? So we, we talk about the covenant, which I think the promises of Christ. Well, that's Genesis 22. And I think one of the most powerful things of the way it's written up in Genesis is how clear it is that it parallels the sacrifice of Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice in Gethsemane and on Golgotha. And the way it's written up is, let, let's open up to Genesis 22. It's just amazing to me to see those. Um, it starts off in, in chapter 22 talking about they're going up to the land of Moriah. So he's living down in the south um, and the Lord tells him, you know, gives him this commandment to go offer his son, and it's going to be a journey. But did you see that sweet little addition about his immediate obedience? Um, you know, the Lord gives him the commandment, take thine only son, Isaac. This is verse 2 of 22. And I'm just a person that likes looking at the way the text is actually poetically formatted. Only son is repeated three times. Um, you know, for the, I just, there's such power in the numbers in the Old Testament and they're very, very much intentional, I feel. Um, anyway, take thy son, thine only son, Isaac, up to Mount Moriah. So he's got this, this long journey. Um, and Moriah is where the city of Melchizedek used to be. That's where the city of peace was, the city of Jerusalem later, the later city of Jerusalem. But, um, it says, that he finds when he's on verse in verse four, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place far off. And I see this hope of the resurrection just coming right out of the text here. And um, as we see this consistent parallel with the garden of Gethsemane and the cross, as we continue on Isaac, by this time, 
we know he's um, an older fellow because Ishmael's already gone. Ishmael left between age 14, 15, 16, 17, whatever. And depending on what age, um, they're already 13 years apart. And it says that um, Abraham's been, or Isaac was weaned when Ishmael left. But he's grown up quite a ways for there. They've gone back and forth with a few different stories. So at a, at a young man, in, either in his late teens or early 20s or early 30s, he could take down his dad, who's well over 100 by now. You know, he's 100 when he's born. And so we know he's... And yet it says that he saddled his ass and took his two young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering. You know, So Abraham is the one who's cutting this wood. And I'm sure he's he's... He's going to obey the Lord, but every time he does it, his tears are in his eyes. And, oh, I forgot to mention that, interestingly, Josephus, the Jewish historian, claims that Isaac was 33. Now, we don't have it in biblical text. And, of course, Josephus was not a believer in Jesus the Messiah uh, as our Messiah. But I I loved that fact. But the idea of this caring of the wood— um, typifying of the cross as he climbs Mount Moriah and then as he builds the altar. And we see this symbolism of the Garden of Gethsemane in verse 5, where he says, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. You see the Christ going back and forth to his apostles. Um, I will come again unto you as they go up to worship and they go on top of the mount. And um, of course, the son, um, Isaac, is laid there on the wood, again, typifying Christ. And then the angel comes, and I love this. Um, in verse 7, Isaac spake unto Abraham and said, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. You know, there's just all sorts of beautiful little gems in here that tie to the in, um, analogies of Christ in the Old Testament um, from Moses' time and afterward. Anyway, verse 8, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Christ becomes the great and last sacrifice, according to Alma chapter 34. And according to Paul, we, he is our Passover. He is the lamb, the Paschal lamb who is slaughtered for all of us. And um, then in verse 13, the, after the angel comes, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld there was a ram caught in the thicket. And um, I just, I, it's just so powerful to think of the emotions of both the father and the son when Christ provided another way. And the symbolism of the day of atonement under the law of Moses, where there are two goats and this ram that is caught in the thicket is just a beautiful double type of the substitute for Isaac here, because um, our Savior will be the second lamb, uh, the second goat, um, and Isaac became the scapegoat. Um, but the promise is then once again in verse 14, the, in this mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. This is going to come again on this mount. And this is the place where Melchizedek lived. It's the place where the temple is going to be built. And it's the place where Christ will come again the second time after his first appearance, which was centered in his death and resurrection on, on Mount Moriah as well. So this is really sacred, sacred space. The sacrifice, though, is not just his. From what I understand, we all 
have to have Abrahamic sacrifices in our lives. Right. So tell me more about that, because modern prophets and Revelation has talked a lot about the Abrahamic sacrifice, right? Oh, yeah. So, and even Joseph Smith said, right, in one of his sermons, he was really clear. He said, we all have to go through this. Let me, let me look for this just a second. Um, he's speaking in Nauvoo, and um, he says, he's talking about the priesthood. And he starts out, this is in, um, from the Joe Smith Papers, it's the, dis, um, the 27th of August, 1843. Melchizedek had still a greater power, even a power of endless life, which also Abraham obtained by the offering of his son Isaac. So I feel like we're saying is by doing this great sacrifice, he has made sure that his calling and election is made sure. He has made sure that the Holy Spirit of promise is taking the conditional promises and making them permanent. He can, continues on by saying that he became a king or priest to God to open up the windows of heaven and to pour out peace and law and endless life to man. But even much, much, much later than the prophet Joseph Smith, we have um, President Kimball saying that we need to sacrifice in order to become purified and that the pattern is that we have to obey in order to be purified. And I remember another one with Elder Maxwell. If we are serious about our discipleship, Jesus will eventually request each of us to do the very things which are most difficult for us to do. Thus, sometimes the best people have the worst experiences because they are the most ready to learn. <laughs> That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. But, you know, even in the scriptures, so many times we have these little hints of Abrahamic sacrifices. And I've already mentioned section 132 with the with um, Hagar, but 132 also refers to the story of um, Abraham's sacrifice. And I think it's there because... It's right after that little reference to Abrahamic sacrifice with Isaac that the Lord then asks Joseph to live the law of plural marriage, to have multiple wives. And I feel like in Joseph's life, that was an Abrahamic sacrifice. That was the hardest thing he was asked to do. And like Joseph, there was many sacrifices he made in his life. Um, but that's that's the hardest. That's verse 36 in section 132. You know, in studying for this, I, I had this thought, like, you know, if— if it, this is indeed kind of his half of the covenant, right? Him living up to, to his promises to qualify, you know, if, you know, uh, for, for those kinds of, of blessings, right? Um, other prophets, like what, what, what does the Abrahamic sacrifice really look like? Well, you know, from Christ, obviously it has to be Gethsemane, right? It has oh, to be. yes. Of course it is. Um, is the, yeah, I guess. So for me, an Abrahamic sacrifice is when God has a law. And he's told you before, this is the law. Then the Abrahamic sacrifice is you are going to follow that prompting. You know the Lord so well that you will follow his voice, his spirit, even when it breaks an older commandment. And then after the sacrifice, you go back to the older commandment. Um, you know, Joseph talked about that many times on how um, we see it in the Book of Mormon. Nephi, in First Nephi, when he has to kill Laban, he says, it, there's a commandment, thou shalt not kill. I've never killed anybody. And the Lord says, but I delivered him into your hand. And in one of another of Joseph's sermons, he says, um, anytime God commands, you obey. And it doesn't matter whether or not it's breaking an older commandment. You have to obey what he's doing then because he knows best. We have to trust him. And that's 
part of the blessing of having the covenant intact is that we can follow him. But the Abrahamic sacrifice is so hard because it goes against a commandment from God oftentimes. Or we think it was a commandment of God, but but actually there's a time and season where the Lord, we have to know the Lord's prompting so well that we will obey and this ties it back to Adam. We talked about this our first week, right? Oh, you know, how, the, how are you the, seeing it with Adam? The timing, well, you just mentioned this, the timing is such a critical component to understanding oh, these yes. seemingly um, contradictory, contradictory commandments. commandments. They're not. They're, they're not contradictory. The Lord doesn't do that to us. But I think there's a difference between him giving us a rule, which is hard to live at first, and you get good at it, right, just as a skill, and him and relying on the Lord as a mouthpiece that's constantly evolving and changing based on the, the circumstances, of not just you and your, your heart and soul, but you know those around you who are responsible, right? And so I, I see this, we see this with the restoration and you know constantly where we're getting new instruction and revelations. And we know with fair amount of confidence that those will be done away with at some time as soon as the church or us individually are ready for it, right? And, and uh, uh, that is a hard lesson to learn. It's so much easier to say, I just need to do this and, you know, groom yeah, my behavior. Yeah, check off the box. Instead it's not, of becoming it's, it's, more Christ-like and learning to trust the Father and the Son at all costs. I think maybe this is why President Nelson said, we have to learn how to hear the Spirit better in our lives or we won't be able to survive. Agreed. That's, I think that's really what it's about. You, I mean, how confident do you have to be uh when you have a prompting that this is from God, right? That, you know, I want you to sacrifice your son. And how that does, doesn't make sense with the promises he made. It's like, yeah, but you promised me posterity. Yeah. And he doesn't say that. He you gets up in the morning me. and chops the wood. Right. He and, is amazing. And I think about this, you know, uh, in context of his, what we talked about earlier with his bargaining, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm like, he, I, I would imagine he would do the same, but, Again, if you start out with this idea, it's like, no matter what, I'm, I'm going to do what you say. And Lord says, like, no. It's like, is there another way? And like, I can imagine him walking up. It's like, is there another way? I'm like, no, this is And you know, sometimes our Abrahamic sacrifices may not be from a prompting. It may be the prophet is asking us to do something that is maybe different than something in the past. I'm just looking at all the changes the early saints had to go through. And we're even doing changes now. Um just looking at the last few years, at the many, many changes that have come to pass, are we willing to change with God's direction? Are we willing to sacrifice what was the norm to what God wants us to move ahead to do? And as you said, it's a process. So, so kind of our insights of the last you know few minutes has been, you know, one of the purposes of the Abrahamic sacrifice, of course, is a type of Christ, right? Amen. To point. So Amen. That, that's that's clear, and it's probably the clearest in the scriptures, you know, the most beautiful type of Christ. Yeah. The, the second thing that I'm learning is that this kind of sacrifice in context of all the other sacrifices he's already made in context of the covenant that he's been promised, right. And those blessings, um, that it, you have to, if you're going to receive all those blessings, you have to have a direct tie to the Lord, and really understand and be dedicated to him, not to a set of rules or to to even to some blessings, but, but to, to our him, Savior right? as our Redeemer and trusting that His He knows better than we do. To, to really love the Lord with all your heart, mind, mind, and strength, right? Really love the Lord. And and the third thing we, we haven't covered yet, but you know, one of my favorite quotes on on the Abrahamic sacrifice comes from from uh, Hubie Brown, which is um, around Abraham 
need to learn something about Abraham. And so, you know, that for me, that's the third aspect of the Abrahamic sacrifice is, um, that Abraham learned he could, he could even obey God to the extent of sacrificing his son. And how that allows him and prepares him for the next role that he's going to play, whatever it may be, right? I, I think about Nephi later in the Book of Mormon where he has the ceiling power effectively given to him, right? Yes. And, you know... Not first Nephi, but third Nephi. Third, right, yeah, yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah. So third Nephi. And, you know... The, the sacrifices that he made and, you know, he was already a prophet and he had built to this point to where out of faith, you know, he had all these, you know, experiences and had proven to the Lord and mostly to himself that the promptings that he was having were from the Lord to where the Lord just says, if you, you know, basically saying to, to, to Nephi, if you think it's good for the people, then then it's it's my will too, right? We, we've aligned our will. So Christ-like. That's right. He had become so Christ-like, and I feel like I'm glad you brought up the ties between the covenant and the sacrifice. Because in my life, if I'm living the covenant, the sacrifice is easier to give because I feel it is God's will. Yeah, I think so. You know, and all those other sacrifices prepared him for that ultimate sacrifice, and so and we're so grateful to have it because it is a type of Christ. It is a type of Christ in every aspect of it. You know, sacrifice for me is by definition not easy, right? right. If it were, were it easy, it's not no, by it's definition not a sacrifice. sacrifice, right? Yeah. It's just it's just a choice. One of the things that helps me get there, right, emotionally, because these are all difficult things, you, know, you have to sort of build up the courage for it, right, uh, to, to do it, is for me, a sacrifice isn't a cost, right? I'm, I don't think about all the things I'm going to lose. It's just a good choice, right? <laughs> these, oh, these are choices. If it's the Lord's sacrifice, it's, the Lord's it's sac always right. for the better. In fact, that's the irony, isn't it? Right. It, 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 it doesn't feel like a sacrifice after after a while. After the fact. I mean, after so, the fact. So yeah. after the act, it's always after. <laughs> you know, as Joseph once said, you know, it'll wrench your very heartstrings, yes. right? And and I, I, he I, says the Lord will come after you and wrench your very right. heartstrings. Yeah. That's right. And so the, the those kinds of, you know, covenant making sacrifices, um, as they build, as I've grown in the gospel, I've, I've learned to not fear these sacrifices when they come. And I think Abraham was there too. It's still oh, painful. Of course he was. I mean, he's our best example. Right. I it's think. still painful, yeah. but, but what gave him that strength with all those other, just those obediences, like, and he had to get to a spot where like, the Lord's asking me to do hard things, but man, he's blessed me so much and he's fulfilled those promises in small ways even giving him a son in his later years, right? It's like he's filling Age his 100. finally, right? Sarah's and, 90 years right, old. Right, right. And so I love that. That's what's given me the strength is do those small things. Just take them when you can do the things you have strength for and you will build confidence in the Lord and in yourself. You know, and Nephi by small things, I, I assume what you're saying is yeah. start your prayers as if you are conversing with the Lord. Spend time with your prayers and your scriptures so that you can develop a relationship so that you can have that faith and trust. When the hard times come, you will be able to be successful. And there's always um, that ram in the thicket, which is represented by our Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I just, I love this story so much. I, 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 I see Abraham as as a as a parent, maybe more oh, than other, more more than Father other Abraham. Yeah, I do, I do. I see it.
Um, you know, I feel I should say, uh, you know, among the many others. So, Oh, what a great fun it's been to talk to you about these scriptures. I hope that this motivates more scripture study in this wonderful chapters on Genesis on Abraham. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.